All right, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship this morning. Uh, Thanks for the new song that we just learned. It seemed uh, most appropriate uh, for our hearts today, God, and most appropriate to be directed to you. We thank you, God, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, across this world and the different circumstances they uh, find themselves in, um, trials, persecutions, God. We pray that your church would stand strong. Continue to empower them. Continue to fill them with your spirit uh, to the end, God. And I pray for us uh, and the church in America that it would be faithful to you. I pray for the pulpits today that your word would go forth, Lord, that your truth would go forth, that people would um, heed your word, they'd hear your word, they'd practice your word, they'd follow your word. And Lord, bless us now. Um, Our kids are back uh, learning different information, God, about you and and learning um, how sweet you are. Would you uh, attach their hearts to you, God? Let them know you from an early age. Let them seek you all their days. Be gracious uh, to save them, Father. And be gracious to save us, Lord. If anyone here might not know you, may they know you after the sermon today, God. Be glorified in our midst, we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are coming up to the end of 1 Thessalonians, and we've been going through it for um, almost a year and a half or so. And... This is what we would call uh, the last section of the letter. Normally, Paul would end with some type of, oh, greet this person or say say hello to this person. Sometimes he gives like a final exhortation. And here's what happens, though. Especially when you start studying this and you start looking at different commentaries, uh, this section gets ignored a whole lot. And it just kind of gets pushed to the wayside. One theologian Uh, called it, and some of you won't get the reference, but one theologian called this last section the Rodney Dangerfield of the letter. It doesn't get any respect. (laughs) So while all the sections that precede this section, they get a whole lot of comments, um, this this last section actually gets kind of glossed over without too much fuss made. And there's been a few reasons given. I'm going to tell you them, but they're all false reasons. Um, A lot of times... The opening and closing, it's just like almost like a, an appetizer, you know, and a light dessert, okay? I'll give them a little something in the beginning and a little something to wrap it up, but really the main course is the weightier section of the letter after the intro and before the ending. Not true. Second, um, some people argue that these endings are kind of borrowed from the liturgical practices of the early church, you know, so th- maybe this was something that, that everyone said in church as it was ending, and so Paul's just kind of like copying and and pasting and inserting that into the end of his letter. Not true. Thirdly, there's been a perceived parallel between Paul's 
kind of practices of opening and closing letters and those of ancient letter writers. And, and the ancient letter writers, it was almost like a, a haphazard ending. They just had to kind of tack something on the end because they didn't really know how to necessarily wrap up the letter. So, oh, okay, let's do a couple things here and say hello to this person and tell this person to do one more thing and, and then we'll call it a day. Okay, that's not what Paul's doing. He gives a lot of careful forethought when he wraps up this letter here, as we're going to see. And here's what I want to encourage us today. You're going to get a little application right at the beginning of the sermon. If we're not careful, uh, we'll do the same in our reading of the Bible. You know, sometimes if you've, if you've read through any of the letters, it's like, oh, you come up to that ending, and it's like, oh, now the, may the God of peace, and you're like, oh, okay, he's wrapping it up. Let me just kind of read through this so I can, I can cross this book off my list of, of books I've read this year, or however you might do it. Um, there's nothing important here. Let's just breathe through it. Friends, one, we got to slow down in our Bible reading. Uh, if you notice, if, I don't know if, if you've ever noticed for yourself, but I notice myself sometimes when I'm reading my Bible, my mind all of a sudden, like, I'm in, like, left field somewhere, right? And I've just read an entire chapter, and I don't even remember what that chapter was about. I got, I, I, when, I, when that happens to me, like, I circle back, because I'm like, obviously... I was not where I needed to be, and I wasn't focused, so I just stop, I reset, I go back, whatever. Five verses, ten verses, sometimes it's a chapter, sometimes two chapters, and I'm not paying attention. I'm not paying attention. I'm kind of breezing through it. So we need to slow down in our Bible reading, and we need to choose quality over quantity. Now, if you're on a Bible reading plan, especially if you're trying to go through it in a year, I mean, that kind of keeps you at a pretty good pace, and there's a place for that for sure, and I encourage you to have some type of plan of reading. But we want to make sure that if we're going to choose, we're choosing to make sure that we're not, oh, I got to read my four chapters a day because I got to get through this and I'm already like three weeks behind. Okay. I've been there. We want to make sure we're, we're, we're not just like, have you, here's one of the things I hate when I, whenever I have to eat is I have to, if I have to rush through a meal, I hate it. I just hate it. Why? Because I like food. Okay. I like food. I like enjoying food. <clears throat> so I hate rushing through a meal. Well, guess what? Like the Word of God, that's our daily bread. And we don't want to rush through our meal. So if we're kind of like on this pace and, oh, we've got to rush through it, you'd be much better served to lengthen your Bible reading plan, or, you know, and, and instead of trying to get through those four chapters a day, get down to three chapters or get down to two chapters and really digest those. There's definitely a place for, for working through some books Especially, I think, newer believers need kind of that comprehensive overall picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament. <clears throat> but some of the mature believers, now it's time for us to dig in a little bit. And so maybe we just need the one chapter or two chapters a day. Friends, I've been at a place sometimes where it's just like, I read like one verse, and I'm just like blown away, my mind's blown, and I'm like chewing on that for the next 15, 20, 30 minutes. Just from that one verse, right? And it's almost like at that point, if I start trying to read any more and take anything more else in, it's like the cup is overflowing, right? Like, I've got as much as I can get for that day, and there's not much more to put in it, okay? Sometimes i got a pretty small cup. <laughs> but my point is this. Um, if we don't get anything from our Bible reading, is that on us or the Lord? Right? I mean, that's on us. Because, you know, God's not up there uh, in heaven, He's not in your room with you while you're reading his word. And he's like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry today. I'm not going to speak to you through my word. And that's not what the Lord is saying. That's not what he's saying. Um, 
He's ready to speak. He has spoken. And he's ready to apply it to your life. If there is an issue in transmission, it is us, not him. The word says what? All scripture is God-breathed or inspired, right? And is what? Profitable. I know some of you NIV people, it says useful. It's profitable. Profitable, right? It's profitable. Think about that just for a minute. It's profitable. That means, I mean, if you're getting in the word, there's something paid back to you. It's profitable. So if you study these letter closings, here's what you're going to find. These letter closings are carefully constructed units, shaped and adapted in such a way that they're related to, and sometimes they even summarize the letter. That kind of makes sense. It's like a conclusion. Let me remind you of a couple things. In fact, that's how um, we're taught at seminary when we do our own sermons. Make sure you include the three main points in your conclusion. We're really probably just stealing that from Paul if there's any honesty there. So he takes them, and the major concerns and themes previously addressed in the body sections um, are, are revisited. And guess what? That's hermeneutically significant. What does that mean? In terms of applying it to our lives and understanding it and understanding what the letter is about, we can actually look at the closings and kind of get a little snippet of the whole book. So the letter closing, therefore, it, it functions a lot like the thanksgiving at the beginning of the letter, but really in reverse. Because the thanksgiving foreshadows and points ahead to the major concerns that Paul or whoever's writing the letter is going to address. The closing serves to highlight and encapsulate the main point previously taken up. Okay, So what we're going to see here is that's what's occurring. That's what's occurring. You get to the end of a a New Testament letter, don't speed through it. Don't speed through it. It's a good summary of everything you just read, and you can pick up some things that you've probably missed in your reading already. Notice how he begins this section. May the God of peace. So he mentions peace, and then his very last section in verse 28 says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, he begins the letter this same way. Look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He opens it up, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. That's how he opens it. Back in chapter 5, that's how he wraps it up. Why? Because really, when we talk about uh, virtues... When we talk about characteristics that we want to have, when we talk about key characteristics in the Christian life, these two virtues, grace and peace, are the foundation of the Christian life. Now, what we should have in our lives, though that's important, but what is given here to us is from God himself. So these virtues, grace, anytime you see the grace and peace, look back in chapter 1 again. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, a lot of times, and we're going to look at it in a little bit, it'll be grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This time he doesn't include it. Most letters, he includes that. Why? Because it's important that we understand that these virtues come from God himself. We don't, we don't 
create these virtues. We don't sum them up in ourselves. Grace and peace, if you think about it, they summarize even Christian salvation. The Christian life should be wrapped in grace and peace. Just like the letter begins and ends, it kind of encapsulates the whole letter. So should our Christian lives. We see this, and this is Paul's practice when he's writing. Look at Romans chapter 1. Keep your place in 1 Thessalonians 5 because we're going to be coming back. But Romans chapter 1. Look what he says. To all those in Rome, in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now how does he wrap up the letter? He mentions one of them again, Romans 16. The God of peace. There it is. He's wrapping it up, the final instructions. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Again, it should encapsulate the entire Christian life. What does he start with? Grace and peace. What does he end with? Grace and peace. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does he end it? 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. So there's always this mention of grace and peace, and then at the end, usually both of them, sometimes just one, but both the grace and the peace mentioned again. Why? That's the first thing he wants going through their minds as they read this letter. Grace and peace. And a lot of times it's like grace and peace be to you, and the idea is, because sometimes that verb is actually missing, it's common in the Greek for that to be verb to be missing. Um, The idea is, is God's giving it to us. Grace and peace be to you. From who? Well, we get it a lot of times. The Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Okay, so he wants that going through our minds. When we sit down to read the Word, even, what should be going through our minds? Because a lot of times, think about it, these people, when they gathered together to hear the Word, maybe they were fortunate enough to have a manuscript. I mean, they'd read the entire letter at once, right? And sometimes we pick up and, oh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10 through 12 is my reading today. But what should be going through our minds when we sit down with the Word is that grace and peace. Grace and peace. And the last thing that should be going through our minds as we're wrapping up our reading, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, And the God of love and peace will be with you. And then look at verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I mean, we we could keep going through every letter and pretty much see this pattern all the way. Galatians has it, Ephesians, 2 Thessalonians, on and on and on and on and on. Why? Friends, think about what, what grace is. What is grace? That God gives to us. It's, you know, I mean, we always talk about Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace 
we're saved through faith. But what is grace? It's God's unmerited favor. What is unmerited? It means we didn't earn it, right? God's unmerited favor. He sees us. We didn't do anything to deserve, deserve anything. And he gives us favor. He gives us favor. Friends, what does that drive him to do to send his son for us? To send his son for us. To pour out his grace. He's pouring out his grace, and we use these different, um, this different sayings or imagery, pour out his grace upon us. Well, what are we asking? Pour out favor that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. And we want you to pour out favors. Favors of what? Ultimately, salvation, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. But then Ephesians talks about what? All these riches that we get in Christ. And it goes on and lists and lists and lists. First couple chapters. All these riches that we have in Christ. And sometimes, friends, you know, especially younger believers or immature believers, it's like they think about um, Christ and what they get, and it's just like, oh, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. That's true. Hallelujah. Right? But, I mean, there are so many more things that you get than just salvation in Christ. You know, uh, Dan was talking about it earlier, the peace, right? You get the peace. And what is that peace? It's not just uh, some subjective feeling, but remember what Ephesians talks about. We were enemies of God. We're enemies, okay? So you're like a little uh, a soldier, and, and you're fighting. You got your uniform on, and you're fighting against God. You're in the wrong army, and you're fighting against him. You're, you're at war with God. And friends, the only way to be at peace with God is through Jesus. But if, you don't, if you're not at peace with God, then you're at war with him, and you're an enemy of God. That's why it says in Ephesians, we were by nature children of what? Wrath. Children of wrath. That's our nature. So what, what would we, as, as just people taking it from a purely human perspective, I mean, if someone is, is against us and, and they're by nature wrathful, what, what's our natural response going to be? Well, we're going to get them back. We're going we're gonna to zap them. We're going to be against them. God doesn't do that. He provides a way out. He provides a way for you to switch armies. He provides a way for you to have peace with him. Okay, and here's the thing. He tells us what the terms are. We can either accept them or reject them. Here's the peace treaty, right? My son came for you, died on the cross, and he took the wrath. You deserve, you deserve my wrath, but he took the wrath. You sign on the dotted line. You trust in him. You turn away from your sins, and you seek after me. Salvation is yours. I'll be at peace with you. But here's the amazing thing is... is Always remember this, God is the one who seeks us out. He came to seek and save the lost. That's why he sent Jesus. That's what Jesus' mission was, seek and save the lost. And what do we find out in Romans, quote in the Old Testament? No one is righteous, no, not one, none seeks after God. There has to be a stirring in the spirit, the, the capital S spirit, a stirring in the spirit for us to seek after God. Natural man doesn't seek after God. God himself has to do it and spark it in us to even want to be interested in seeking after him. But that's peace. So we, we, we need to 
be thinking that. We wake up in the morning, man, we should be thinking grace and peace. We go to bed at night, we should be thinking grace and peace. We sit down to get into the Word, grace and peace. We're interacting with our children or our spouse, grace and peace. Those are the key characteristics when we think about Christian salvation and what should encapsulate us and define us. It should be these things. Listen, back in uh, 1 Thessalonians, remember, we kind of looked at this little phrase here in verse 23 when it says, now may the God of peace himself, and we looked at that was a way back then of saying, hey, this is what I'm praying for you. And we saw it in chapter 3, he had three prayers that he was praying for them. And sometimes Paul just says, I pray this for you, right? That's pretty obvious. But this was another way of praying. Now may, it's a a little bit different um, tense, uh, actually mood in the Greek. Now may the God of peace, so this is what he's praying for him. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he has two, two parts to this prayer, sanctify you completely and be kept blameless. So we're going to look at sanctification here in a minute, and we're going to see that that really comes from God. We get descriptions of God here. If we're not careful, we gloss right over it. First, it's pretty obvious, verse 23, we have a God of peace. That's what I was just talking about. But then we get a God of holiness. Where, well, where is that at, Pastor? Well, because it says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Friends, what is sanctification? Making one holy. Making one holy. Setting them apart and making them holy. Well, guess what? God can't do that which, of what he isn't. Okay? He can only make us holy because he is holy. Think about that. God can only do the thing that he already is. So if he's holy, guess what? Then he can make us holy. If he's a God of peace, what? He can come to us and give us peace. If he's a God of grace, then he can come to us and give us grace. And then we see in verse 24 that he's a God of faithfulness. Now why are these three things, us knowing this about God and being reminded about this in regards to God, important? Because it summarizes the letter, as we're going to see in a little bit. It leaves in our mind key things about God that we must continually reflect upon. He's a God of peace. He's a God of holiness. He's a faithful God. You want to serve this God? This is the God you're going to be serving. A God of peace. A God of holiness. A God of faithfulness. Let's talk about the God of peace. The meaning of this peace stems from the Old Testament concept of shalom. You know, that's how the Jews greeted each other. Some of them still do. But here's the thing. It doesn't merely uh, refer to the resolution of conflict because Paul dealt with that. There's conflict in the Thessalonian church. But it's not really focused on that, but it has a much richer meaning. That word shalom. It involved the restoration of the fallen created order to its original design of perfection and glory. Peace. Peace. So when, when he's saying peace, it's not just like, oh, I hope, hope you feel good today. When he's saying peace, he's not just saying be made right with God. That's part of it. When he says peace, he's not just saying, oh, you were at en- enmity with God. You were an enemy of his, but now you're not. You're at peace with him. It's saying much more than that. It is calling 
for the idea of the fallen created order to be restored to what God originally designed it to be. Now think about that. That would be peace. Okay? I mean, there's all sorts of wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of uh, tumultuous times going on and persecution and everything, but when God returns to claim his bride for his own, guess what he's bringing with him? Peace. Okay? The fallen order will be renewed. The fallen order will be restored. Okay, so the perfection that this world had and the glory that it had, it'll be restored and then it'll be even more so. Okay, creation, Romans 8, what's it doing right now? It's groaning, right? It's groaning. And it longs to be renewed. We get this personification of the world longing to be renewed. Friends, I hope that you long to be renewed. And I hope that in some sense, there's an there's a unrest at times in your soul because you know that something greater lies in store for you ahead. That what we have now, it's not the end. If this is as good as it gets, what ain't that good? Because God has much better for us. So I hope at times you feel that unrestness because it's the longing, and Ecclesiastes talks about it, the longing for eternity that he's placed in your heart. We have this longing for something better. We have this longing for something greater. And what do people do? I believe that that's placed in every single person, unbeliever or believer, this longing for something greater. And what do they do? They try idol after idol after idol after idol. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You tried to fill your void with different things in your life. Idol after idol after idol. Why? Because you have this longing and you're trying to fulfill that desire. Only Christ can fulfill that desire. You can, you can try everything else that the world has to offer. It will always fall short. It will always fall short. Maybe for a season or a time, it might be great. It will never truly satisfy you. Guarantee you, that is because God did not design it to fully satisfy you. He set up the world that you would only truly be satisfied in a right relationship with him. If you don't have that right relationship, then you'll never truly be satisfied. However, he offers it to you, even today, right relationship with him. You can be restored to the Father in a split second. Okay? If you trust in Christ, if you seek after him, repent of your sins, turn away, and seek after the Lord. So we have a God of peace. And, and where do we get this idea that it focuses on the coming kingdom? I mean, it's, it's spread throughout Scripture, and we can miss it sometimes because it, it's a verse here, it's a verse there. Let's just look at a couple because I want you to see it. Romans chapter 14. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that righteousness, I mean, that, that's the sanctification there. And then the peace, right? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God about? I mean, Paul's laying it out right here for us. It's the righteousness, it's the peace, it's the joy. So he's laying out exactly what the coming kingdom has for us. He wants us to start practicing it now. The righteousness, the joy, and the peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. 
Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Again, not just this subjective feeling and not even just being made right with God. That's important. You're at peace with him. But this coming kingdom of his, the fallen order being restored to what he wants it to be. That's the kind of peace. So he's a God of peace, but he's also a God of holiness. Look at what he does for us. May the God of peace, verse 23, himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the complete sanctification. And notice a word, you could circle it if you want or underline it in your Bible, because Paul's making a point here, may the God of peace himself, okay? He's emphasizing who's the one doing it. God himself is the one who sanctifies us. He's the one. He's the one in charge of it. He's the one doing it. It's a complete sanctification. Now, sometimes you hear different uh, jobs and, and work sites and employers. You know, someone blows up at someone and, and they have to take uh, anger management classes, right? You know, I get, it can help you with your anger, right? Friends, let me tell you something. Uh, this is the best that the world can offer is managing your anger. I, I know someone that can actually deal with your anger and take it away. Okay, the best the world has, we'll, we'll teach you how to manage it in these four steps and they're going to help you out. Um, how about get rid of your anger? Right? How about get rid of your anger? Not manage the anger, but get rid of it. And friends, I mean, if you've got an anger problem, God can deal with it. God can get rid of it. God helps you with it all. You know, we're, we're so pampered and spoiled here in the, in the U.S. I mean, we think holiness is like optional. Like on the, mesh, on, the, on the menu of Christianity, you know, we're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll definitely want the grace, right? And now the peace, that sounds pretty good. And on the holiness, oh, no, no, let's leave that off what I'm having for lunch today. We think it's optional. And you know what's happening is um, there was a story a while back of, of Chinese students coming to America to study, and, and God's doing a work, and, and, and many of them are getting saved. They're getting saved. But guess what happens? They return back to China, and they're so used to these program-based American churches that their expectations are crushed when they step into these China bare-bone churches. Some don't even have air conditioning. Some of them don't even have a church building. And then that, you know, no one greeted them or catered, catered to their every need, and they didn't have a little, little program over here for them. And they don't know what to do. We're so pampered here in the U.S., and here we are spreading our, our false Christianity to other people and giving them an idealistic expectation that isn't realistic. Friends, hopefully you come to church to serve. Hopefully you come to church to serve, not to be served. If you can't even do that with church, I mean, friends, we're trying to be like Jesus. And what does Matthew quote him as saying? 
The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Well, how much more? His servants, right? How much more his servants? So, I mean, come to church to be a servant. Guess what servants do? They serve. That's what they do. So, God's requirement for us, he's already calling us to be what he already is. And he doesn't expect more from us than he does himself. Okay, Jesus walks with us in following any requirement laid out in the Bible. He walks with us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And sometimes, and I've been guilty myself, I'm like, you know, Lord, give me the strength. That's a good prayer, actually. But guess what? I mean, if we have the Holy Spirit, we do have the strength. Maybe you need to be reminded you got the strength. But you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you got the Spirit. All right? So if you are a believer, you have the Spirit of God living inside you to walk, to live according to His ways. Now, you might not feel like that. Guess what? I don't feel like waking up sometimes in the morning and getting out of bed. All right? I don't care how you feel. It's about action. It's about trust. It's about what you know. It's about walking it out. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes those feelings come after the actions. That's not hypocrisy. That's true love, in my opinion. God calls us to do something and we don't feel like doing it. It's an act of love and trust to walk that out when we don't feel like it. Think of, I mean, you know, marriage is all great and easy when, when you and your spouse are getting along and agree and everything is just all great and you see everything eye to eye. But it runs off the track real quick when, when you're not seeing eye to eye and you disagree. And, and feelings ebb and flow. Any person who's married knows that. What are you sticking to at those times? The covenant you made that you covenanted with that person. What are you sticking to when you come with your relationship with the Lord? That you covenanted with Him. Okay? You're at peace with Him. He's redeemed you. You're going to walk in that spirit. Friends, we got two options when it comes to following God. There's really only two options. We can, we can run to Him, or we can run from Him. Run to or run, run from and if we've been running from, it's time to turn around and run to. It's time to run to. So let's wrap this section up. There's three things that we've seen about God, and I want to relate them back to this letter. And this is what God wants in our minds as we contemplate the letter and as, as we wrap it up. We're going to wrap up fully next week. But as, as this letter wraps up and we're reading it, Think of the peace, the unity among the brothers and sisters that he's addressed. And, and that's been our theme for this year. We're getting ready for a new theme in a few weeks. But our themes, what has our theme been this year? Unity and community. But, but more than peace with one another, we need to remember the peace with God. And that's what Paul is calling them to remember. This means salvation. This means the future eschaton that he has in store for those that love him. Then there's the idea of the holiness. That's been a theme in the letter. I mean, he takes like a whole chapter uh, in, in the beginning of chapter 4 to address sexual matters. 
But the whole, whole letter from beginning to end is dealing with different aspects of walking in holiness. And then finally, faithful. Paul expects and commands them to be faithful to God. God is faithful to them. He wants them to be faithful. Listen, you know, the last time I read my Bible and I was reading Exodus, uh, he, he leads them, you know, uh, into the water. The water's part, he leads them into the water. And what's he like? Oh, see you guys, I hope you make it through to the other side. No. He leads them into the water and through the water. Okay? Wall on one side, wall on the other. But he doesn't lead you into the Red Sea only to have the walls of waves come crashing down on you. Okay, if he takes you into a storm, he'll be faithful to take you out of it. Now, it might be a long journey, but he will see you through it. Okay, and sometimes, guess what? What were they leaving behind? I mean, they were leaving a lot of things behind, but they were, they were being delivered from an army. Sometimes God delivers you and takes you through one storm, but what did they have on the other side? They had the next trial to go through, right? They had the next trial, the next difficulty. We'll never come to a place where everything's peachy keen and all great for very long, in part because God loves us too much for that. He loves us too much. We grow the most when we're in the fire. We grow the most when we're going through challenges. Why? Because that drives us back to him. And sometimes he's taking us through something and he's pleading and desiring and wants us to run back to him. He wants us to run back to him. But we just keep running from him. We run and we run and we run. And God's, God's pursuing us. Someone wrote a poem. It's a, kind of an old poem. The, the Hound of Heaven is what it's called. All right? He is relentless in pursuit of his children. Even when you're running the opposite way, he pursues. And some of you, it's time to stop running and run back to the Father. It doesn't matter what, which gutter you're in, the left side of the street or the right side, he doesn't care. Just run back to him. He'll take care of the rest. God is faithful. He'll take care of cleaning you up. God is faithful. Friends, this section should give us hope. Hope for the future. Like, you realize we will be changed. We'll be changed someday. We will someday be completely and utterly and entirely 100% sanctified. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I know my own sinful heart, and I know what lurks there. All right? But he's going to take care of that. Now, that won't happen until either he comes back or we die. But he will do it. It will be a final sanctification. There's really three aspects or parts to sanctification. There's the initial sanctification at our conversion. I mean, he sets us apart. We are now his. First Corinthians says, it goes through this list. You were justified. You were cleansed. You were sanctified. Past tense. 
Though there's this initial sanctification and conversion, he sets it apart. He does a work in your heart. Then there's the ongoing process. He's slowly sanctifying us bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit. And then there's the final sanctification where it is completed at death. But that should give us a hope for the future that we will be changed 100% holy in his presence. But also get, get this, it should give us hope for now. Why? Because God is at work in us. And if God is, is, is ever working, guess what? We're blessed to be a part of that. We are privileged to walk in the work that he's doing. And sometimes we're like, oh, Lord, this is so hard. This is so hard. I look at it from God's perspective. He's trying to work with you. <laughs> All right? He's like, it is hard. I get it. I'm dealing with you. But God is at work in us. And what is the, the Philippians 2, right? Right uh, in chapter 2, he's like, for it is God who works in you. He's like, you know, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. But God works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in you. So he is that God of faithfulness. He will not let you down. He will be there. He will walk with you every single step of the way. There's a Latin saying, it's, it's lux in tenebris. It just means light in the darkness. It's actually kind of echoed in, in John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it, right? We are the light in the darkness of this dying world. But guess what? We can only be that light because Christ first was the light to us. He's the, the true light that shines in the darkness. He's the one that overcame the darkness for us. He is a darkness defeater. And friends, if we've been wallowing in the darkness too long, even on the edges of it, it's time for us to stop. And it's time for us to come back to the Lord. We've been running the wrong direction. Okay? 1 Corinthians 9, run the race. You ever seen anyone run a race, go to the end, end point and start running backwards? No. That'd be foolish. I've run a lot of races. I've never seen that before. Run the race, what you say on the course that's been marked out for you. Don't backtrack. Okay? I run a lot of races, and I'd see people slow down. That's okay, actually. I mean, you're at different tempos in the race. But always be moving forward, right? Some people, I mean, whatever, they went out too fast and, and now they're walking. That's a, that happens. But they're moving forward on the path in the race. That needs to be us moving forward on the path. Maybe at times, because of a host of situations and circumstances, maybe it just feels like we're just literally crawling like a little baby on the ground. Well, let's, let's make some progress, little baby. Let's just crawl as best we can. God will get us trained. He'll get us the proper shoes. We just read it in Ephesians 6, right? Shoes fit with the gospel of peace. But he'll get us trained. He'll get us where we need to. Sometimes it does feel like we're crawling. Other times God's gracious and we're making some good progress. That comes from him. But my point is this. 
Let's run in the right direction. And if you've been at the, if you've been running backwards towards the finish, excuse me, towards the start line, let's repent, turn around, and start running to Him. God is too gracious for us as His children to run away from Him for too long. He's too gracious. He's too loving. And he will pursue us. That's why you got to keep running. Because you think you can get further away from him. But you can't. He loves you too much. He will continue to pursue. I encourage you, if that's been you, stop running. Stop running from and start running to God. Make today that day. Let's pray. We thank you that you pursue us with an endless pursuit. Even in our sin, even in our rebellion, you thought out the lost. That was us. You thought us out. And even God, at times, through no fault of yours, we run from you. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for that, Lord. And with everyone keeping their heads bowed, if, if you've been running, if you're, if you're not where you need to be with the Lord, I just want to invite you forward now so I can pray over you. It doesn't have to be big. It might be something small. Maybe it is big, but I'd like to pray for you. I believe there's people here who need prayer. Anybody at all? Anyone else? There's others that are running. Make today the day that you stop and turn around. Lord, I pray for this young man. Thank you for his humility to come forward. God, I pray you do a work in him right now. Thank you that he wants to stop running from and start running to you, God. I pray for him and others that, that they know they're running God and they needed to come forward, they didn't. Be with them, God. Show yourself gracious to them. Let, let them mark the day today that they seek the God of heaven, the merciful, loving, gracious, kind, amazing, sweet King of the universe. You are a good God, and we are never disappointed in seeking you. Continue to show yourself to us, God. Continue to make yourself more clear to us. More and more, God. Pour out your spirit on us. We need you badly. We need you greatly, God. So minister to us now. Work in us. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.